We take a closer look inside the ACC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. Clemson's loss last night, a perfect storm perhaps, on the road, short turnaround, losing the quarterback early who had already been banged up coming in. Yeah, I you know I kept looking at this game and, and looking at the remainder of Clemson's season, uh, trying to figure out if they were going to go undefeated. And you just are reminded that not only is going undefeated really hard, but how about this? How about going twenty-eight and two over the two thousand fifteen and two thousand sixteen seasons? You know, to win twenty-eight out of thirty college football games at a high level, uh, it it takes a lot of the right bounces, and it takes uh, being able to escape the perfect storm of extraneous circumstances. And I I think that Clemson losing a game does not derail a path to the playoff. It does not change their national championship odds in my mind. I kind of figured that, you know, at some point they would probably take a loss. The key was going to be who the loss was to, when it was in the season, and whether or not they were going to be able to make sure that they didn't pick up a second. So now we're on on to that part of the story. Because Clemson's got the win against Auburn which will help it against uh, other teams in the college football playoff selection committee debates. But if they take another loss or, and you know, this is where you look ahead to NC state. You know, if you lose to NC state and give up the head to head, then they might be out of the conference title race or at least out of the driver's seat. So no margin for error moving forward and how Clemson responds will determine whether or not they are title worthy. Uh, the team that we saw very much title-worthy through the first half of the season. But the interesting part of last night's loss for the Tigers is it really opens up the ACC and even both divisions. You have Miami-Georgia Tech today, uh, which is a huge game in the Coastal, and now you have in the Atlantic, you have NC State, which has Clemson coming up very shortly on their schedule with Syracuse and uh, you know Florida State at one and three. I, I think we could write them off uh, at, at this point, but you know you look at, at the top of both divisions in the ACC, and right now we're at the halfway point in the season both very wide open and Clemson still has to play Georgia Tech yeah that's a big game that's uh that's going to go on in terms of uh determining what these conference records are I still favor Clemson um and it'll be interesting to see what team gets out of the coastal this is a big spot for Miami to respond against Georgia Tech after losing Mark Walton for the season um the good thing is Miami actually has uh, really had a strong edge in this series since joining the ACC, particularly uh, playing at home against the Yellow Jackets. So Georgia Tech, a team that's been flying below the radar, trying to uh, trying to reverse some recent history down there in Miami. As Since you mentioned Miami and Georgia Tech, let's stick on that theme as we talk with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com and, and the host of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And, of course, follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Miami got over one hurdle last week, but you mentioned the loss of Mark Walton and others. You know, Can they sustain what they started a week ago against a, a Georgia Tech team that, that might be flying under the radar right now? Yeah, and the good news is the the group that still is strong, um, you know, the defensive front seven for Miami is so key against Georgia Tech. Playing that assignment football, flying, you know, making sure that you you have discipline. Uh, they've done a good job, and I think that Manny Diaz is going to have a good scheme cooked up. But you're you're right, you know, there aren't going to be many possessions in this game. Can quarterback Malik Rozier be able to stay on the field? get first downs without Mark Walton, potentially without Amon Richards on the outside and a few other targets. Uh, this will, We have seen strong performance so far this season from Malik Rozier at quarterback. 
uh, particularly at the end of that game, leading the, the game-winning touchdown drive. I, I think that now it's really the spotlight's on for him because if he can get Miami through a couple of these really tough ACC games, then we're talking about the Hurricanes. You know, is the U back? Well, the U needs to get to the ACC championship game for the first time in program history. And, uh, and if they're able to win today, you know, if they're able to take care of business against Virginia Tech, now all of a sudden we're talking about a potentially very, very special season for Miami. And from producer James Ward, who liked to contribute with this one, how much is the familiarity for uh, Mark Richt having faced Georgia Tech and Paul Johnson in the past uh, a factor or a benefit today for the Hurricanes? I, I think that that's, you know, it, it's key on some level, but Miami and Georgia, Miami has to play Georgia Tech every year. I don't think that there's any excuse unless you're maybe a first-year coach uh, total, like totally blind to it. I think if you're an ACC Coastal Division coach or an ACC Coastal Division coaching staff, some part of your camp, some part of your preparation for the season has to involve being able to put together a game plan. And yeah, absolutely. Um, Mark Richt and Paul Johnson, they, they've had a, a very fierce and intense rivalry for a long time now. So I think that uh, they, don't, they don't need any extra motivation. They'll be fired up for this one. Speaking of fired up, how about what's happening in Charlottesville right now? Virginia is 4-1, and one, a pretty big turnaround from the last year when the Cavaliers just won two games. How much are you buying into what Bronco Mendenhall has done so far? I think it says something that Bronco Mendenhall um, has Virginia at 4-1 and, and his former team is 1-4. I think that Bronco Mendenhall, is, uh, he's always gotten the nod as being a really strong coach, but because the the BYU community, because the BYU program as an independent, uh, you know, it, it kind of plays by different rules. There was it gets treated uh, special, you know, for many reasons as an independent. But we weren't really uh, we weren't really willing to consider Bronco Mendenhall as uh, as one of the top coaches in the game, probably because of that. But then you you take him out of Provo, you drop him in the middle of a a power five program that hasn't seen this kind of success in 10 years. Now, all of a sudden he's, he's got things rolling. So I, I think that uh, total credit to Bronco Mendenhall. I think that in terms of his coaching resume and the way that he's considered nationally, he's rewritten it. And, you know, the really good thing that he was able to get the seniors on that team, he had a couple guys, Micah Kaiser being one of them, Quinn Blanding being another, he had players that could have gone to the NFL draft last year. They decided to come back, and that's when I started to suspect that maybe there was a sense of belief or some vibe around that building that the players believed things were about to turn around. Because after a two-win season, uh, if you don't think things are turning around and you're a potential you know, first, second, third, fourth-round NFL draft pick, you know, human instincts, I, I would imagine that you would go. But when they came back, that's when I started to feel like Within that building, uh, they believed it was going to turn around, and it was only a matter of time. And now we see it. You know, when we talked about ACC Coastal Division contenders, I I don't know if Virginia is you know first or second in that race, but given their performances so far, um, you know, I I would think that Virginia could beat almost anybody in the ACC Coastal Division. And it has been a long time since we've been able to say something like that. Absolutely. As we talk with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson go back to last night though we started with this when the Syracuse Clemson game you know Syracuse's speed or tempo seemed to really provide a lot of problems for Clemson how much can that really spark this program going forward 
Well, Dino Baber said something very, very interesting in July. Uh, from his experience at Eastern Illinois and at Bowling Green, he told us that in his experience with this system, the light bulb goes off year two after about five or six games. And here we are after about five or six games, you know, Syracuse, uh, they, they were knocking on the door. They kept pressuring LSU. Uh, they, they've hung around in a lot of games. They were able to get the close win against Pittsburgh. And I think that the light bulb to me is about how to take this system and turn it into winning football. Because we've seen plenty of teams when they go, uh, you know, at a fast tempo, where they've got a wide open offense, they put up a lot of yards, they put up a lot of points, but they struggle to turn that into wins. And I think when you look at the Pittsburgh game last week, that's probably when the light bulb went off at how to be able to manage the tempo. You can't be wide open all the time. You've got to be able to focus on moving at the right tempo, how to get first downs, how to sustain drives. You know, and these these last two wins, the, the win against Pittsburgh and the win against Clemson, these aren't games that are being decided in the 40s. Uh, you know, these are games that are being decided in the 20s. And being able to have a system like that but win games that aren't necessarily 71 to 67 shootouts, that might be the light bulb going off. Syracuse, I'm, you know, we're not ready to label the orange as ACC uh, division contenders at this point. But like we were just saying about Virginia, I, I think Syracuse is absolutely a team that you have to consider dangerous and one that could be anybody in the conference. We take a closer look inside the Pac-12 with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. Washington State, Cal. I have to. Uh, I have to admit, I never saw this coming at all. Maybe, maybe a Cal win, but certainly not thirty-seven to three. Did you? I, I said that Washington State. The variance was too all over the mark for me to believe that they were going to keep this going and not take uh, a loss or two at some point. I didn't see it happening with uh, Luke Falk's interceptions or the fact that. Uh, they would give up that many sacks on one night, but Cal's defense is for real, uh, and and that was that has to be yet another uh, another piece of the puzzle for Justin Wilcox in terms of conversation for National Coach of the Year. And now we're looking at Cal and their remaining schedule. This this suddenly looks like a team that could be bowling by the end of the year. I I, I thought Washington State would slip up. I didn't necessarily call it against Cal. I figured that this Cal team that really could have beaten USC if not for all of its own interceptions earlier this season. I thought that this Cal team would give Washington State a, a good fight. I thought they would hang inside the number that the odds makers set on it. But I definitely didn't uh, expect it to be a dominating win like that. So the, the Bears are legit. You know, this is, this is a tough team, and Washington State didn't show up. I mean, Mike Leach said so in his postgame press conference. He he didn't think that his team showed up with energy. He called them front runners, and that was a bad thing. Washington State's not used to being the front runner, and uh, and, it, and it caught them in a bad spot. You know, you mentioned the job that Justin Wilcox has done. You know, the turnaround is enormous considering what this uh, this coaching staff inherited, and that's that's not to besmirch the previous staff, but it certainly wasn't uh, the style with which they were going to play. I mean, they've they've taken and and turned around this program. They've done a total one eighty with it. You know, how much does that speak to the, what the staff has done? I mean, uh, you know, you look at the offensive and defensive coordinators, both former head coaches. There's a lot of st- a lot of talent and a lot of experience on this staff, if if not the head coach. Yeah, and I think that what you were saying, the the stylistic turnaround is always big and impressive to get a group that has been 
you know, run one way uh, under Sonny Dykes and his staff and get it to sort of turn around its whole mentality. I think that's really impressive. No question is uh, the Bears, after three straight wins to open the season, come up with three straight losses and the big upset last night. As we talked with Chip Patterson about the Pac-12 Conference, you can check out his podcast, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, and also follow him on Twitter, Chip underscore Patterson. Who had Gary Anderson as the first coach to go this year in the Power Five? Where does Oregon State go from here? I don't know where they will go. They've got a, a long road, including finishing this season that's tough, but I I tell you what I I would love to see uh, Oregon State maybe maybe make a, a try a zig when everyone else is zagging. I mean I this program has really struggled um, for for some time now, and so I like why not hire an option coach? Like why why not just take it all the way in the other direction from uh, what we're seeing in the Pac-12? It'll it'll be very interesting because it's hard to turn Oregon State into a place where the top recruits in the West Coast want to come. And uh, so you really have to focus on player development. And, you know, when the personnel just isn't there, and right now I think Oregon State's the, the personnel is just not in a position for them to field a team that's going to be able to compete for a bowl game, uh, it's, it's going to take some time. This is, this is going to be a long rebuilding process for Oregon State. And I'm fascinated to see who uh, decides to take on the challenge. Utah and USC meet in a game that doesn't leave much margin for error for either. Uh, do you like the steady but maybe unspectacular Utes or the disappointing but still capable of big plays Trojans? Yeah, Utah being – I mean, USC's injuries have been one of the biggest storylines of the college football season, particularly with the Trojans team that we had such high expectations for. But I think it's Utah's injuries that make me a little bit nervous. If if Troy Williams is out there, remember Troy Williams has been a very capable quarterback at times and in spots for Utah, but if he ends up uh, taking the snaps for the Utes tonight, I think that leads to a couple of turnovers that might end up deciding this game in favor of the Trojans. I'm, I'm leaning on USC because, you know, the, the Utah style of play, the Utah game plan of being able to uh, play great defense and great special teams also requires not turning the ball over. And uh, right now, uh, if it's not Tyler Huntley, then I think I, I really like USC in this spot. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson and also catch his 24-7 sports college football podcast. Stanford, stable enough at quarterback to be the Pac-12 tighter contender we thought they could be? I don't think so. Uh, I, you know, the, the, I thought it was going to be K.J. Costello. Now all of a sudden we see Chris back. And, uh, and I think that instability, Stanford is capable of winning all the rest of its games and finishing 10-2 and two and competing for a Pac-12 championship. But that instability at quarterback just makes me think that uh, with a lot of really, really tough games left on the schedule, uh, that it's, it's going to take, uh, take a heroic effort. By, by Bryce Love to be able to anchor it, and it's going to take a lot more 50-yard touchdown runs. <laughs> Speaking of uh, runs, Khalil Tate, uh, and Arizona and Rich Rodriguez has had a lot of athletic quarterbacks in the past, but is Tate now the guy for the Wildcats? I think so, and it kind of makes you wonder why he wasn't to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, if you had this superstar who seems perfectly fit for your offense, you know, with a Pat White-esque, role then you know where where was he at the beginning of the season i listen how arizona plays moving forward uh will tell us a lot about colorado as well so i I'm, i think Khalil tate's the guy i think that they're gonna have 
Um, they're going to have an interesting response once defensive coordinators. It's no longer going to be a surprise. Um, but I, I think that Arizona got a spark in a season where they desperately needed a spark. How, about, how does Philip Lindsay feel after rushing for nearly 300 yards and having the second-best rushing total of the night? <laughs> yeah, I know, for real. He's, uh, he's, he, he played for the breakthrough team. And he came back, and things have taken a step back, but he's still running hard, so he certainly deserves credit. Washington 6-0, and taking on Arizona State. It's so easy to forget about uh, the Huskies and what they've done so far this year. The only time they've made headlines is when Chris Peterson was uh, saying that they shouldn't have such late starts. But this team uh, has been just as good. What is the key for them down the stretch as, uh, you know, as everybody else, so whether it's Clemson or Washington State, keeps getting knocked off? Oh, man. And look, Chris Peterson should be used to this. This is just the Boise State life again. You know, you fly below the radar, you win a whole bunch of games, and as long as you show up in those three big ones a year, then, you know, you're going to be undefeated or a one-loss team that's in the thick of it, probably in a big-time bowl game. I Look, this, I think that uh, the way the schedule ramps up, it is not glamorous, and it's going to hurt them in the College Football Playoff Selection Committee debates. But for some reason, I I like it. I think it works for Washington because they are playing with so much rhythm right now. It's really like they warm up. And by the time they hit October and at the crucial games in their schedule, their offense is in rhythm. And the offensive line is doing a great job right now. So much better. They are so much more improved now than they were in that season opener against Rutgers. Miles Gaskin, after being slow to start, he is running – uh, full speed right now, and he is part of that ground attack. The defense is flying around. Uh, they all seem to be in sync. And the fact that this team kind of goes from a, a cold start to peaking in October, some might be said for it because uh, the way they're playing right now, the execution level, you know, the execution on that team is so crisp. You know, it is, they are in a better spot the way they're playing than anybody else in the Pac-12. And, you know, then all of a sudden you're like, wow, Chris Peterson might be kind of smart. This might be a game plan that works, and Washington might be the Pac-12 champions again. So I, I love watching Washington. They're one of my favorite teams to watch right now, again, because the execution is so much better there than almost any other program in the country right now. We take a closer look inside the SEC with Chip Patterson of CBS Sports Dot com, and you can also check out his podcast, the twenty four seven college football, twenty four seven sports college football podcast. Chip LSU had a lot of meetings last week. How much would you attribute their win to change from those meetings, or just beating a slightly better than mediocre Florida team? I think that there, I mean, there are hurt players that are out there for LSU that were really showing uh, a lot of heart in that Florida game. Darius Geis is not one hundred percent. I just don't. The LSU right now under Ed Ogeron is very uh, locked down about injury news, and they don't like to give updates, and they like to keep everything in-house. But as somebody who covers LSU and the SEC and college football, I can look at Darius Geis against Florida, and I can look at Darius Geis at the end of last season, and I can tell that you know the, the lower le- the leg injuries, the multiple injuries that he has sustained – certainly seemed to have an impact on his performance. But he's out there, and he's fighting for yards. And, you know, what would have been a 20-yard run sometimes now gets stopped after about five or seven yards. But those five or seven yards on a first or second down is what allowed Danny Etling not to have to face 
a third down and 10 against Florida's defense. You know, they're, they did a good job of putting together a scheme so that they could win that game with a low score. And their defense showed up and brought a physicality that it did not show against Mississippi State or against Troy. So I don't know if the meetings uh, helped, but there was an edge to LSU in that game uh, that I thought was not there before. Arkansas is stuck in the middle of Nowheresville. Where do they go with Brett Bielema? <laughs> I mean, we'll, yeah, we'll see. I mean, this it's uh, it's not looking great. Arkansas you know, they're not just playing. I mean, they're just mediocre. I mean, they're they 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 have enough talent to surprise, but they just have never taken that next step forward. It will in this this particular year so far. Um, is a li- is a little bit different. You know, there's there are teams where you could argue that maybe there wasn't as much raw talent in certain spots, and and yet they uh, they were able to to play a little bit better. Uh, Arkansas is not playing well, and they've had some bad losses. You know, the South Carolina loss was really bad, but then at the same time, this was the team that was right there with Texas A and M. So you know that. there's a level that Arkansas is just not reaching right now. And when a team is not able to consistently uh, play to its best abilities, certainly the fans are going to look at the head coach. I think Brett Bielema is a great head coach. And I don't know how this story ends this season, but when you look at the SEC West in general and continue to play it out moving forward, uh, there's not a lot of room to all of a sudden have a huge turnaround when you've got, uh, Nick Saban at Alabama and Gus Malzahn at Auburn. Um, you know, there, there's a little bit of a ceiling, and I I don't know if Arkansas is going to be able to break through that, you know, this year or next year. So it'll be interesting moving forward. I'd, I'd like to see whether the Razorbacks can rally the troops, circle the wagons, and pull off a couple big wins down the stretch. Talk with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson, and also check out his 24/7 Sports College Football Podcast. What's the future of Jacob Eason at Georgia? Jake Fromm has done a great job, and Justin Fields, hyped as a generational-type quarterback, has committed. It's going to be a little bit of a crowded house next year. Yeah, and it stinks because uh, there's already – everyone's already speculating. You know, um, he was uh, a West Coast kid, so Washington is certainly a spot where people are drawing lines. He was recruited by Mark Rick, so everybody wants to put him at Miami. Uh, I I just think that Jacob Eason, as long as he does his job, continues to prepare and not quit on Georgia, then Georgia can still be a national championship contender because Justin Fields isn't showing up there if Jake Fromm goes down with an injury. If Jake Fromm goes down with an injury, they need Jacob Eason to be ready to go. It took Alabama until week six to commit a turnover. I mean, you know, the superlatives about this program just keep building, but that is one tremendous stat. Yeah, well, that's also part of the game plan, right? Yep. Because there's uh, the more bad things can happen when you throw the ball way down the field than when you just run the ball right at somebody. Uh, it, it helps when you're when you've got an incredible ground game, uh, you know, fabulous running backs, good offensive line, a running quarterback. And when you're not slinging it around the yard, you can limit your mistakes. Uh, I think I think that what we saw in, in the Texas A&M game for Alabama was a little bit of Texas A&M showing us that. Alabama's offense can turtle up at times. You know, you think about uh, famously in the Clemson game in the national championship, long stretches of the uh, third and fourth quarter where Alabama was couldn't even get first downs. Or if they got a first down, they weren't getting a second first down. 
And so as, as Texas A&M continued to claw back uh, from that 24-3 to deficit, I think you saw Alabama's offense kind of tightening up in that same way. So we'll see uh, whether or not there are going to be more wrinkles moving forward because, honestly, Alabama limiting its mistakes and just running the ball downhill usually is good enough to get a convincing win. What would a win for Texas A&M today in the swamp meeting for the Aggies? Uh, you know, four and two, this is a, a solid season, with uh, notwithstanding the season opening loss to UCLA. Right, and I think the fact that if you don't let Alabama beat you twice, that's the key for me. Because uh, that, that was what Kevin Sumlin was preaching going into the week. You know, this, we need to remember that we're going to play the next Saturday uh, no matter what happens in this game. Texas A&M got really, really high, and you just got to make sure that uh, the, the disappointment of losing that game doesn't linger. If, Texas, if Kevin Sumlin gets Texas A&M ready for Florida, they go in there and they beat them because I think Texas A&M is the better team there. If, if Texas A&M goes in and out with a good win, then you're looking at Kevin Sumlin not necessarily as a hot seat, but as someone who's got a really good pulse of his team. Ole Miss posted the job opening for a head coach. Where might they be looking? I don't know. I mean, who wants it? <laughs> like, how attractive is a, a program that is about to get hit with some NCAA sanctions? I know it's important to remember that, you know, you have to keep a job listed, but for so long because of employment laws at a public university. But the fact that it was listed on a Saturday when things weren't going well for Ole Miss was not a good look. Um, you know, they – they are going to have a couple different routes. Um, I, it's it's got to take somebody with a long plan to be able to get Ole Miss uh, anywhere close to where Hugh Freeze had it. Vandy at 3-0 and is a nice story, but they're now 3-3. Three and three. Which streak says more about them? Uh... I don't know. I mean, their their conference season started. I don't. I don't think that we can look at Vanderbilt right now and be able to have a convincing argument one way or the other. I think we got to see at the end of the year when when whether or not they're bowling on whether or not uh, we can have definitive statements of if Vanderbilt was ready to take the next step. Because certainly the narrative coming into the season was that Vanderbilt was ready to take the next step, and some of their performances against the best teams uh, haven't gone that way. So. We'll see, by the, again, by the end of the year. This schedule got really, really tough. Games that we were not expecting Vanderbilt to win came up. So let's, let's see what happens next. Chipper, enjoy the day. Thanks as always. Appreciate it. Love having you every week. Thanks, Rich.